Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. On a Tuesday, February 13th, 2024, and not just any Tuesday, also known as Fat Tuesday, the day before Lent begins. We will be discussing this coming up in the program. But first, right after the news this morning, at about 15 minutes past the hour, our very own Dr. Greg Popcheck, author, speaker, teacher, therapist, co-host of More to Life, heard right here. Also, the executive director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute and director of the Peyton Institute for Domestic Church Life. A very, very important report coming out from CARA, which is the Center for the Applied Research and the Apostolate, taking a look at how do faithful Catholics raise Catholic children and help keep them Catholic. Interestingly enough, Greg's going to share with us that it's not rocket science, even though at times it just seems so difficult. So I look forward to really getting to the bottom of this, because although Deacon Dom and I uh, were not blessed with any of our own children, we are very involved in the lives of our, our grandnieces uh, and other uh, grandnieces and nephews and trying to help them be faithful and their parents be faithful. So it's a challenge, I think, for all of us, and we can learn a lot, I'm sure, from the information that Greg has gathered. So that will happen at 15 minutes past the hour or so. And then we're going to chat with a favorite from our very own EW10 and the Marian Fathers, Father Chris Alar is going to be joining us, and he'll talk about, well, Ash Wednesday and the season of Lent. Ash Wednesday begins tomorrow on St. Valentine's Day, and of course, so does Lent. And I was mentioning during the first hour of my program for our Ohio and Michigan listeners who get the first hour of Catholic Connection, that what a great opportunity to witness on Ash Wednesday. Especially, for example, if you can get to Mass or get to the service in the morning to get your ashes before you go to work or before you drop the kids off at school and start to do your errands. Because when you're wearing that cross on your forehead, that cross out of the ashes from the palms on the previous Palm Sunday, we kind of think that everybody knows what we're doing. And yet each year I find that more and more people do question or give you kind of, I don't know, quirky looks maybe in the grocery store or at the gym or wherever you are. And that's an opportunity, even if they don't say anything, maybe if they're looking at you strangely and you could say, gosh, I know you're looking at my forehead. You want to know why I, I have this cross on my forehead? I mean, obviously you have to test and, you know, test everything and make sure the audience and you're not you know, like forcing yourself on someone. But you know what I mean? It's a great way to start a conversation. And I bet you're going to get some questions tomorrow after you get your ashes. So what a beautiful opportunity to explain what we are doing as Catholic Christians and why we receive the ashes on our forehead, what it signifies, and most importantly, whom it signifies as in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So just something to think about as we move into Ash Wednesday and Lent, and Father Chris will help us with that as well. So that's the program for today on a Tuesday. Okay, let's take a look at the weather. Now we have a big, big, big major storm that's moving in on the east coast, and also the west coast is getting hit as well a little bit differently, but they're also going to get some severe weather. So the National Weather Service, and we'll have some stories about this in the newscast, is telling us there's a nor'easter impacting the mid-Atlantic and northeast and an active weather pattern across the Pacific Northwest moving into tomorrow as well. The nor'easter bringing strong winds and heavy snowfall from the central Appalachians through southern New England today, which could damage trees, power lines, and disrupt travel. Coastal flooding is also expected along portions of the east coast, a storm moving into the northwest tomorrow bringing areas of heavy rainfall to the coastal ranges and heavy snow to the Cascades. So be careful if you're out on the East Coast and also portions of the West Coast. Got some rough weather coming. All right, it is four minutes past the hour. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN, this program, Catholic Connection. Of course, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. Find us both online, AveMariaRadio.net and EWTN.com. Let's check the news on a Tuesday, shall we? The remains of five late-term aborted babies in Washington, D.C. will not, according to the Catholic News Agency report, immediately be discarded, and that could possibly allow an autopsy to be done to determine whether federal law was violated by the abortionists responsible for their deaths. The halt on the cremation of the babies came just before the D.C. Medical Examiner's Office, which has been in possession of the remains since 2022, and was set to discard them last week in defiance of calls by dozens of pro-life groups and federal lawmakers for an autopsy and investigation. 
The Religious Freedom Law Firm, according to CNA for Law and Justice, announcing on its website late last week that the office is intent to preserve the remains in response to demands sent to the office. The secular pro-life group Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising originally obtaining those remains of the aborted babies in March of 2022. The pro-life group saying it acquired them from the Washington Surgical Clinic run by an abortionist, a well-known abortionist, actually, in the city. Pope Francis holding an audience yesterday with those taking part in the General Assembly of the Pontifical Academy for Life, which is focused on the theme Human Meanings and Challenges. As Devin Watkin reports in the Vatican, in his address, the Holy Father highlighting the importance of the Academy's efforts to explore what is distinctive about the human being. Reflecting on the prevalence of technology in all aspects of human life, he pointed out that it is impossible to reject technology out of hand. We need instead, said the Pope, to situate scientific and technological knowledge within a broader horizon of meaning. He offered the example of technology reproducing various aspects of the human person, such as efforts to employ binary code as a digital language able to express every type of information. Noting the obvious parallel with the biblical story of the Tower of Babel, Pope Francis said God's response to the human desire to create a single language is not mere punishment. Rather, he noted, God confused human language as a kind of blessing with the purpose of countering the tendency to force all people to think exactly the same as others. Artificial intelligence, or talking machines as the Pope called them, can never be endowed with spirit, and so technological advances must take place in such a way as to prevent the disfigurement of what is human. The Pope went on to say that the main task of anthropologists is to develop a culture that by integrating the resources of science and technology is capable of acknowledging and promoting the human being in his or her irreducible specificity. In other news this morning, we're learning more about the person who used an assault rifle to shoot prisoners at Joel Olstein's megachurch in Houston. We do have some anti-Semitic writings that we have uncovered during this process. That's Police Commander Krista Sieg, who says there was also a sticker on her weapon that simply read Palestine. The shooter has been identified as Genesee Moreno, 36 years old. She brought a 7-year-old boy along with her. He was by her side and was shot in the head. Police say he is clinging to life right now in the hospital. The U.S. does not support Israeli military operations in the Palestinian city of Rafah until, according to federal officials, there's a plan to protect civilians sheltering there. We do not support any, any military campaign in Rafah going forward as long as they cannot properly account for the uh, 1.1 million people, by some estimates, who are in Rafah today. That's State Department spokesman Matthew Miller, who was pressed by reporters yesterday following a wave of Israeli attacks that killed Palestinians. He says there does need to be a credible humanitarian plan before a full-blown military campaign in that city goes forward. Israeli forces did free two hostages who were held by Hamas. The IDF announcing that a wave of attacks have been carried out there in Rafah, about 20 miles southwest of Gaza City, as part of a mission to rescue the hostages. John Fink tells us an expert now weighing in on last week's deadly military helicopter crash in California. The helicopter crashed in the Cleveland National Forest last Tuesday night. The Marines confirmed dead were stationed at MCAS Miramar in San Diego. Timothy Loringer served with the Marines for five years. He's now a private pilot and attorney. He tells NBC7 the weather alone should not have caused that crash of the training flight from Las Vegas to San Diego. These aircraft, the CH-53, are designed to operate in extreme environments and in weather conditions that other pilots might decide is too intense for them. According to Loringer, the crash report from the Marines will take at least a year. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin expected to make a full recovery after he was hospitalized over the weekend for what's being described as an emergent bladder issue. Secretary Austin currently remains hospitalized at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center and is in good condition. That's Major General Pat Ryder telling reporters that Austin transferred his powers to Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks. The seven-year-old retired general has been treated recently for prostate cancer and was admitted to the critical care unit. He will not travel to Brussels for a meeting on Ukraine aid this week, and it's not clear how long he's going to be hospitalized. New York City officials say they are prepared for the up to eight inches of snow or more coming into the city, and they're urging New Yorkers to do the same. Mayor Eric Adams says this is something we haven't seen in a while. Uh, we have not had any significant snowfall for quite some time. In fact, it was amazing how little salt we had to use last year. Uh, but, you know, the time has come. You know, Mother Nature does what she wants to do. 
And he's urging his residents to stay home due to anticipated problems on the roads, poor visibility, and strong wind gusts. The city's Department of Sanitation, meanwhile, has issued already a travel advisory. Meanwhile, across the river in New Jersey, residents are reacting to what should also be the first decent-sized snowfall today and tomorrow in a very long time there. We are really excited. We like to build snowmen. We like to have fun. We like to drink hot chocolates. Not looking forward to the snow. It's a shame because it's been nice the past couple days, like the past week. Again, parts of that region could get up to a foot of snow. The storm is also impacting parts of northern Arkansas and Oklahoma, as well as parts of Missouri and Kentucky. Former President Trump endorsing the head of the North Carolina GOP, Michael Watley, as the next chair of the Republican National Committee. In a statement, Trump said that the RNC must be a good partner in the presidential election by helping to ensure fair and transparent elections across the country. He also supported his daughter-in-law, Laura Trump, to serve as co-chair. Current chair, Ronna McDaniel, expected to step down following the South Carolina primary at the end of the month. Lisa Taylor tells us Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash drivers are striking across the U.S. just in time for Valentine's Day. Drivers' groups said Monday they're seeking fair pay. This is the first strike call since Uber and Lyft went public in 2019. Groups said drivers are going to picket outside airports and Uber offices. The Justice for App Workers Coalition, which represents about 130,000 drivers, said drivers wouldn't provide rides to and from airports between 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. in 10 cities. The NFL opened to Las Vegas hosting another Super Bowl. That's according to Commissioner Roger Goodell, who praised the city yesterday. The hospitality here, um, you outdid it. Uh, and uh, I think uh, safe to say the NFL looks forward to coming back. Kansas City Chiefs beating the San Francisco 49ers in overtime in the first ever Super Bowl to be played in Vegas. New Orleans up next as a host of Super Bowl 59. Then Santa Clara hosting Super Bowl 60 followed by L.A. hosting Super Bowl 61. And speaking of the Super Bowl, this year's event was the most watched telecast ever. Sunday's matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and San Francisco 49ers drawing an average of over 123 million average viewers across all platforms, with CBS drawing 112 million, the largest audience in history for a single network. Over 200 million viewers watched all or part of the game across networks as well. That's up 10% from last year, which previously held the record. And again, the Chiefs beating the 49ers 25-22 to in overtime. And February is a time to celebrate St. Valentine's Day, of course, and it's also nationally recognized as American Heart Month. Rebecca Hughes tells us how to keep ourselves heart healthy. Heart disease, which refers to several types of heart conditions, is the number one killer of both men and women, with one in five Americans dying from it in 2021. Dr. Timothy Mines, medical director with MedExpress, says with heart decorations everywhere, it's a perfect time to raise awareness. Risk factors for developing heart disease include your lifestyle, age, family history, and high blood pressure, smoking, or high cholesterol. He says it's important to know the signs and symptoms to help prevent a heart attack. Not everybody gets the chest pain in the middle of your chest, especially women. Sometimes it can be pain in the upper area of the body, especially left arm or sometimes stomach, neck or jaw or back. Mine says seeing your doctor for a yearly checkup can help you make changes to prevent becoming a statistic. Some 380,000 Frigidaire refrigerators under recall after reports of plastic in the ice bucket. Side-by-side fridges with slim ice buckets sold between November of 2015 and September of 2019. Two injuries have been reported. Recalled model numbers can be found at Frigidaire.com. And finally, in our new segment at 14 minutes past the hour on this Tuesday, or Fat Tuesday, the day before Ash Wednesday, and also the day before Valentine's Day this year, Phil Hewitt tells us a new study revealing nearly half of men will get a little help writing those Valentine's Day love letters. 45% of all American men will turn to artificial intelligence to write love letters this Valentine's Day. According to McAfee Research, 27% of women will do the same thing. This comes at a time when more adults are concerned about what's real and what's fake. Last year, only a quarter of all Americans enlisted AI to write their Valentine's missives. It is a Tuesday morning. Up next, Dr. Greg Popcheck, our very own. He's a co-host, of course, with his beautiful wife, Lisa, of More to Life, heard regularly here on EWTN and Ave Maria Radio. He's also the executive director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute and the director of the Payton Institute for Domestic Church Life. Now, interesting report from CARA, the Center for the 
um, Applied Research in the Apostolate, regarding raising your children Catholic and keeping them Catholic. What's the secret? It's not exactly earth-shattering, and he will share, among other details and interesting information, when we come back on a Tuesday morning. Dr. Greg Popcheck after this. Do you own popular index mutual funds or ETFs? If so, you're automatically owned shares of companies that conflict with your moral beliefs. Ave Maria mutual funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors can invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. The experienced professional portfolio managers make decisions based on investment fundamentals and pro-life values. You can learn more about Ave Maria mutual funds today at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Teaches that Jesus Christ is literally and wholly present, body and blood, soul and divinity, under the appearances of bread and wine. In the Bread of Life Discourse, documented in John chapter 6, Jesus states that He is the bread of life, and that His flesh is true food and His blood true drink. The Jews were scandalized in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus does not back down, but reiterates this teaching four more times over the next four verses. Many left in verse 66 because this teaching was truly difficult. But at no point does Jesus water down his teaching and call them back. No, he allows them to leave, and even questions his twelve apostles if they too wish to leave. Jesus intended to be understood literally, and the Jews, apostles, and the Catholic Church absolutely take him at his word. Examining the truth of the Catholic faith, this is faithforensics.org. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Well, this is a treat to dive into the work of one of our many great, extremely well-educated, with all kinds of letters after his name, Dr. Greg Popcheck. So knowledgeable about faith and family and marriage and all that good stuff, which you could hear, of course, daily on his program, More to Life, which he shares the co-hosting responsibilities with his beautiful wife, Lisa. He's the executive director of the Pastoral Solutions Institute, director of the Patent Institute for Domestic Church Life. And boy, oh boy, cannot wait to dive into this because as a speaker and talk show host like you, Greg, we get a lot of these questions here about how do I keep my kids Catholic? I thought I did everything I was supposed to do. So... There's a study that was just done out of CARA, the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate at Georgetown, about how to really maybe do a a better job or have more of a chance of making sure your kids remain Catholic. So tell us about it. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure, and, and, and to be clear, this is, so this is a study that was done uh, through the Peyton Institute for Domestic Church Life, uh, and, the, and CARA conducted Cara. the research, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, Dr. Mark Gray and I uh, were responsible for the project. And So number one, we found that only about 15% of kids raised in Catholic households become practicing Catholic adults. So we wanted to look at those families that really bucked that trend and were able to raise, uh, in many cases, well, most, if not in many cases, all of their children to a faithful adulthood and look at what's the difference. You know, what do these families do that other families may not do that stacks the deck in their favor? And, you know, as you and I were talking over the break, there there are no silver bullets, there are no Mm -hmm. magic answers here, no guarantees, but there are certainly things that the research does show consistently will stack the deck in our favor in our ability as parents to raise faithful kids. And, you know, I get this, we get this call all the time on our radio program, More to Life, um, and, and of course in pastoral counseling practice as well, but people will say, you know, I did all the things, right? I, 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 we took our kids to Mass every Sunday, we, we sent them to Catholic school and sacrificed mightily to do that, we sent them to youth group, um, we, even, we even, you know, prayed uh, the rosary at home, for example. And those are all beautiful things, and this research really shows that those are important things to do, essential mm-hmm. things to do. But what the study also shows is that those things are secondary and supportive, um, and that the main thing that, that spells the difference between kids who own their faith as adults and kids who don't is that kids, when they own their faith as adults, experience the faith making a positive difference in the quality of the relationships in the home. 
uh, so that they could look at their family. And, and, you know, their families weren't perfect. They see these families that we interviewed struggled just like everybody else, but they struggled differently. And they were able to say, you know, there was something about the way we as a family related to each other, uh, saw our faith as a source of strength, uh, as, a, as something that, that challenged us to be closer and warmer with each other, than my non-Catholic or non-Christian or not as church friends uh, did in their families. And because of that, it made sense to me to hold on to this, that, that my faith was uh, a source of the warmth in the home. Uh, and so the, the families that practice things like prioritizing family time over other activities, um, expressing generous affection and affirmation in the home, mm. having a gentler approach to discipline that focused on teaching good behavior and virtue instead of just punishing bad behavior, uh, having strong family rituals for working and playing and talking and praying together, uh, almost uh, often daily. Um, and, and, and there's a certain sense of openness. So, for example... Um, Many of the respondents said that, you know, as kids, they, could, they felt like they could come to their parents with, with any questions that they have, uh, even doubts and struggles and concerns, uh, and not receive lectures, um, but, but really would explore these things with their parents. And if mom and dad didn't know, then they would explore it together with them and really kind of discover God together, as some of them said. Um, so there, there was really a quality of the relationships in the home that, that, made, that spelled the difference. It wasn't the things that we did outside the home to live out our faith, uh, ec- except that those things were seen as an extension of what we were already doing and supportive of what we were already doing. Um, so so it's, it's, it's one of the things that we often miss then as families is it's not just the faith practices that we do inside or outside the home, but it's, it's the fruit that those faith practices bear in the quality of the relationships in the home and the warmth that we enjoy because of the way we're called to live. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful. We're talking with, of course, Dr. Greg Popchek, co-host of More to Life here on EWTN and co-produced by EWTN and Ave Maria Radio about recent research that they did with CARA, the Center for the Applied Research and the Apostolate, about the factors that enable Catholic parents to raise faithful adult Catholics. Now, a couple of things I want to pick up. We're going into the break in about three minutes, so we'll pick it up on the other side if, if we need to mm-hmm. continue. But yeah. when you talk about how the faith was exhibited in the home, you mentioned affection. I, and I think also, and you can answer this, but in terms of them understanding, the children understanding the importance of a sacramental marriage, the way the parents relate to each other, that kind of affection, loving them, forgiving each other quickly, uh, what impact does the parents relating to each other beautifully have on the kids in the Catholic homes? Well, this, and this was, this was something that we looked at specifically, but, the, but again, in, in the co- course of the conversations with both the parents and the adult children that we interviewed, um, it, it was the overall quality of warmth in the home. So that certainly was reflected in the relationship and in the family, because we can't give what we don't have, right? If there's conflict in the marriage, a lot of times there's going to be conflict in the family right. as well. Um, and so it, there was a sense that even when we had problems, you know, we, we approached those problems differently. Maybe we prayed about them. We saw how, you know, we, we got through things um, and bounced back because our faith was challenging us to work together and be a team as opposed to just kind of go off and do our own things. There was a real sense that um, somehow uh, the, way we were li- the way we were living our faith or the way we were called to live our faith made a difference in the way we confronted problems and worked through things and came together as a team when the going got tough. Uh, and so it's, it's really that how the faith impacts the way we relate to each other that made the biggest difference in whether kids would own their faith as adults. 15%, that number is, is very sad, isn't it? It's, 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 it's catastrophic, frankly. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, it's, and the high, in, in, the ni- in, 19, in the mid-1970s, the, that was about 40% of kids uh, who were raised in Catholic households would grow up to be uh, faithful Catholic adults, and that has dropped down to 15% now within the last 10 years. Do you find that, again, we have about a minute left, and maybe we can pick up the answer on the other, on the other mm-hmm. end, but do you find that the parents who are, uh, maybe they just don't feel qualified to teach the faith and are, and are leaving it up to the school system, so to speak, that those children in, in those situations do not have a high rate of retaining the faith when they grow up? Well, I think we're talking about the difference though, between catechesis and, and evangelization or formation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And we have a tendency to, to, to think that because our kids have been sacramentalized or catechized that that's all that needs to be done. But what, what this study is really showing is those things are important, obviously, but they're secondary and supportive to the formation 
that we receive in the home for how how our Catholic faith, faith excuse me how our Catholic faith makes a difference uh, in the way we love. Uh, and so, and if we don't have that, then learning faith facts doesn't do anything for helping our kids become Catholic as adults. So what I really am interested in also, and I'm sure our listeners are as well, is how this research is being viewed by people in the church, especially, for example, you mentioned uh, in the notes to us, the USCCB and even the Vatican. So let's talk about that when we come back, because I think this is what's burning on so many people's hearts, really good Catholics who are doing their best to raise their kids that way and keep them Catholic, but have challenges along the way and, and want some answers, which I think this, this will help us. More with Dr. Greg Popcheck when we come back. It's a Tuesday morning. And you're listening to Catholic Connection, a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN. Stay tuned. It's a Tuesday, 28 minutes past the hour, spending time with Dr. Greg Popcheck, of course, from More to Life, co-hosting that show with his wife, Lisa. He's the executive director of Pastoral Solutions Institute and also the director of the Payton Institute for Domestic Church Life. And we're talking about recent research regarding how to raise Catholic children, not only that, but to ensure that they have the Catholic faith throughout their adult life, which is so important. All right, now I know in the, in the notes you sent us, which I think this is really awesome, that the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, Greg, the Secretary of Relating Marriage and Family Life and Youth, as well as the Vatican Dicastery for Lady Family Life, have taken a real act of interest in the work. So what are the church officials saying, and, and what are the kind of questions are they asking you about this? Yeah, well, I, you know, I've, I've had conversations since the report came out with both the, the executive directors of the USCCB Secretariat for Laity, Family, uh, and Life, and, and also the uh, staff from the Vatican Dicastery uh, for Laity, Family, and Life as well. And in both cases, I mean, they're, they're very excited to see this work because you know there there's a sense that the quote unquote the church is all about families but really the church does very little to help form families and show families how to live the catholic vision of family life uh, parishes are meant to are supposed to exist to form domestic churches but that's not our reality what, what, what we usually experience is that the belief is that families exist to support the parish uh, and and so you know what ends up happening is that all of our efforts on evangelization end up being individually focused, focused on adult formation, uh, and and we end up kind of letting all of our children slip to the cracks instead of actually forming families on how to raise faithful people to begin with and, and lead faithful lives in their homes. So both the USCCB and the Vatican Dicastery for Lady Family and Life are very interested in what this research kind of shows and and how it in uh, kind of. It says to the church that we need to change everything about the way we focus right. on evangelization and and, uh, and faith formation. And so, how did we miss that core uh, piece of the puzzle, Greg? Because it's so true in terms of the, the and catechism says it all the time and, and reminds us yeah. of that you know, we, that the, that the parents of domestic church, the primary educators of the children, and yet the world, it's just the opposite. Let everybody else educate the kids. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's, that's hard for me to say. I, I mean, I think that as the family has deteriorated um, and, and, you know, divorces increased and, and families have, have fallen apart and even our very understanding, secularly speaking, of what a family is has changed, uh, I think that our, the church has just sort of gone with the culture on that. Um, there, there's, you know, I think implicitly, historically, families did a better job of, of doing the kinds of things that we're talking about here. I mean, many of the recommendations in the report, I mean, same, simple things like having regular family meal times, having time yeah. to for one-on-one -on -one time with parents and children, uh, you know, having creating rituals for working and playing and talking together, praying together as a family. You know, all of those things have been uh, replaced by uh, sports schedules and extracurricular activities and all the stuff that we do outside of the home. And so we've lost the family. And I think that the church needs to realize that uh, if, if it wants to long-term survive, frankly, I mean, you can think about this, 15% of the kids raised in Catholic households grow up to be Catholic adults. If 15% of those kids, and then 15% of them, we're not going to have a church in three or four right. generations. Right. You know, yeah, so unless we start doing something to teach families how to be families and how the faith helps them do that, we're not going to have a church in a couple of generations. But this isn't exactly rocket science, though. I mean, you have this list here no, and the specific family practices. It, it's not rocket science. No, it's, it's, but it's, it's hidden in plain sight. It's all stuff that, that people think families do all the time already, and most families don't do them anymore. 
Uh, and so as a church, we need to start teaching families how to be families, especially how to live the Catholic vision of family life and how to do that successfully so that we can experience the faith as the heart of our homes. You know, it's interesting you talk about mealtimes. Uh, years ago, when my first book came out, Noise, back in 2007, I did a lot of research and interviewed a lot of people, including uh, the head of the um, Center for Addiction and Substance Abuse out of New York, CASA, and the mm-hmm. director at that point was telling me, and not from even a religious perspective, but he said, if I could get families to have at least two to three meals together a week without interference from other activities or the TV on or answering the phone or having their cell phones, that he would see a drop in the number of kids struggling with some sort of uh, drug or other type of addictive abuse, just spending time together without interference, just two, three yeah. times a week. No, there's, there's tons of research on the power of, of family rituals to, uh, to, to lead to uh, healthy outcomes uh, for adults and children. Um, the, the, in fact, not, mental health is improved. The, the rates of addiction, the rates of, uh, of uh, delinquency are d- decreased. The uh, rates of physical health improve when families have strong family rituals. And this, again, is not even religious research. This is just if you have rituals at all. You know, so what, what your friend was saying is absolutely right. Um, so, and, but, and that's something we've lost as a family. We, we, don't, we, th- we think that family life is what happens in the 15 minutes we've got as we're bussing kids from one activity to, to the other. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we focus on, uh, for example, on, in Catholic Home, is the importance of seeing family life as its own activity that we have to plan for and schedule other things around and not just assume it happens because we live, live under the same roof and share a data plan. Yeah. And I just want to review some of these uh, family practices, prioritizing family time, being careful not to let extracurricular activities crowd out family activities and rituals, generous, healthy affection between parents and children, a general approach to discipline, focused on teaching good behavior and virtue, strong family rituals, as you just mentioned. The rituals included regular mass attendance, regular family prayer, especially the rosary, teaching good manners in and outside the home, children feeling they could talk to their parents about personal and or faith struggles freely, Families regularly discussing ways to take better care of each other and families regularly discussing ways they could care for others. Include simple things like being polite to strangers and more involved in things like family service projects. This is a good point we didn't discuss yet. Family service projects and family charitable giving and hospitality. That's really important to take them and let them see the world and find out how they can make a difference. That's right, and and you know how how we work together as a family to do that. You know, it, again, in in the church, service is often one more thing that divides families, right? Because men serve with the men's group, and women serve with the women's group, and youth serve with the youth group, and we don't ever do anything together. What we're really encouraging is, and what these families that we interviewed said, they served together as families. So they all went to the same mass, and mom read, and dad sang in the choir, and the kids served at the altar. You know, they, when they did charitable work, they did it all together. And the beautiful thing about that is when you know people receive those 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 services that families provide working together, they don't just benefit from the things the families are doing, they benefit from the witness of love that those families are giving by doing it together and making the time to, to serve others as a, as a domestic church. So where can we get this information if folks want to review it and talk about it? Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to be posting the, uh, the full report to the Peyton Institute website, but really the best way for listeners to do it would be to become part of the Catholic Home Community. That's Catholic H-O-M. It stands for mm-hmm. uh, Households on Mission. And it's an app. You can download the Catholic H-O-M app uh, or go to catholichom.com. We, uh, we've created a space where we are supporting families in living this mission out in their daily lives. And so we've created tons of resources for them. My whole team of pastoral counselors and family life coaches are on there answering parents' questions. You know, they're saying, well, how do we start family rituals? Or how can we get our kids to pray together? Or how can I get my spouse on board with this? And all those kinds of practical things we're providing daily support and guidance and resources for. Just check it out at CatholicHOM.com or, again, download the Catholic HOM app. Are you going to be talking about this on More to Life as well? All the time. Yeah, Good. absolutely. Good. This is a great topic. I'd like to have you back on again about this. There's so much we didn't get into. Greg, thank you so much for all the great work you do. And, of course, you can tune in to More to Life every day. And give us your overall website if people want more information, Greg, where they can find you. Sure. They can go to catholiccounselors.com. There you go. Greg, thanks so much. Of course, we've been talking about this new research uh, that Greg's sharing with us that was done in conjunction with CARA, the Center for the Applied Research in the Apostolate. Taking a look at why only about 15% of children raised in Catholic households grow up to be faithful Catholic adults. Well, talking about rituals and things that we do in the faith, we'll discuss in more detail Ash Wednesday and Lent with our very own Father Chris Alar. Stay tuned.
Boy, this hour is going by fast. So many great guests, including our next guest that's with us, our dear friend, Father Chris Alar from the Marians. And, of course, the Divine Mercy Center in Stockbridge, an amazing place if you've never been there. Of course, we cover Divine Mercy Sunday there every year. It's just phenomenal. I had the opportunity to speak there a few years ago. Just a beautiful place to go and pray and learn more about the message of Divine Mercy. Today with Father Chris, who you see, of course, regularly here on EWTN, I hear him as well. We're going to be talking about, Father, what a unique time for Lent to begin. Today is, Ash, is a Tuesday, Fat Tuesday, known as Fat Tuesday. Tomorrow, Ash Wednesday, but also the Feast of St. Valentine, St. Valentine's Day. And we were chatting during the break, Father. There's an interesting connection there, correct? Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, yes, and I was teasing our staff here that when they get their ashes tomorrow, we are not making the shape of a heart. <laughs> we are, we are, we are still doing the sign of the cross. Uh, but uh, no, it, it is a, a good day because a lot of people don't realize Saint Valentine was a real person. Um, now, what's interesting is there may have been three different Valentines, but we do know that there was at least one, maybe as many as three. Uh, because they found in the Roman catacombs that there was a church dedicated to him. And, you know, that he wasn't kept on the calendar uh, because we didn't know a lot about him. But, um, you know, he's still in the Roman martyrology. And so, you know, we still list him as one of the, on the list of saints. Uh, but basically his story is amazing because he refused to sacrifice, you know, to the pagan gods. And like so many of our martyrs, he was imprisoned. And then he started converting people in prison and um, even the guards, you know, the prisoners, the other guards, they started listening. And so um, the judge who was trying these prisoners challenged him and said, okay, if you are who you say you are, heal my daughter. And so Valentine healed her. I think it was from blindness, just, you know, like Jesus said. And so many started to believe him, but this judge... Um, who was humbled, uh, converted, and obeyed Valentine's request that, you know, he turn away from paganism and everything like that. Um, and then he baptized his entire household, including the children. Wow. You know, we always hear, don't, don't, don't baptize the children. <laughs> you know? But anyway, um, then he was freed, but then later arrested again for trying to convert people to be Christians. And this time it was under the Emperor Claudius, well, anyway, here's what happened, and this is where we get the tradition. So in prison, um, he was helping the Christians, um, and Valentine then convinced um, Claudius, but this time the, uh, he tried to convince him, but this time he wasn't like that nice judge. He was um, pretty adamant that, no, I want to stamp out Christianity. So anytime, anyway, he became enraged and sentenced Valentine, St. Valentine to death that he didn't renounce his Christian faith, and he, of course he refused. Mm-hmm. So he was beheaded. Now this is in, in the year 269, but before he died, uh, he left this little girl who had visited him while he was in prison a note uh, that he had healed her. And so one of the people that he healed was this little girl, and he, when he healed her, before the, right before he died, he left her a little note signed, Your Valentine. And so that's how the tradition began, uh, because now he's known as the patron saint of love, young people, happy marriages. Uh, in fact, in the Middle Ages, they believed that the birds would choose their mates in mid-February, and that was when they associated a time of romance. So St. Valentine, because he secretly married these Christians in prison um, against the emperor, um, they acknowledged he was the saint of romance. And so, you know, here he gives his life fighting, you know, against these pagan gods, but that's the real meaning uh, of St. Valentine's. And so what a cool story, huh? Well, it's it's very cool, but also if you think about some of the points that you just made, and by the way, we're chatting with Father Chris Alar, of course, and the Marian Fathers and EWTN, because if you look at the way he lived his life and turning away from paganism and out renouncing his, his faith, his Christian faith, we're being called to do that in a very strong way during Lent, right? Oh, yeah, and that's the connection, because, you know, um, Ash Wednesday coming up tomorrow, a lot of people don't realize that it's actually not a day of obligation, right? but it really is a great day to go, because, you know, we've probably blown our New Year's resolutions already, <laughs> <laughs> so, and so this, is, this is a really good time 
to start over. And, um, you know, a lot of people come on this day, which is good. Uh, it's the first day of Lent. It's a time of traditional prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Um, you know, but it comes from the Jews because they have the tradition of penance and fasting. You know, people mm-hmm. yell at the Catholics, oh, you're all about, you know, gloom and doom. Well, no, this comes from the Jews. In fact, Jesus even said this. He said um, it ties the ashes to penance and fasting because he said, you know, if the mighty works done for you had been done entire inside you, right, they would have repented sitting, I think he said, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. And so ashes symbolize, why do we get ashes? We, they symbolize the dust. Um, obviously, God made us from the ground, right? When he made Adam, he, he came from the earth. And our foreheads are marked with ashes to remind us that life passes away, you know, on this earth. Uh, and, and then it can be easily washed away. Like, you can just wash those ashes right off your foreheads. Like, life can be easily washed away. And remember, was it Genesis? Remember, man is dust, and onto dust, dust you shall, shall return. return. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of a reminder of our finiteness, if you will, kind of our temporal being. Um, but it goes all the way back, uh, Ash Wednesday, to the year 1000. Yeah, or something like 11th that. I century. Really, yeah, 1091, yeah. I think yeah. it was. I looked it up yeah, this morning. 1091, yeah. it was Pope mm-hmm. Urban, Pope Urban II. And um, in fact, though, we have writings from even the second century that people wore ashes. And, um, you know, we all know the story. Christ spent 40 days fasting in the desert. Um, but we also forget that, you know, Moses did the same to repent for the people of the golden calf. He was up on the mountain for 40 days. And so um, when we go to church tomorrow, you know, the the um, symbolism, you know, like, for instance, you ashes don't have to be put on the forehead. You know, they can be sprinkled on your head. That's actually um, a traditional way, mm-hmm. and we know they're burned. You know, from they're made from the burned palm Palms, from right. the previous you know year. But um, the, the thing that people don't remember, and I think this is kind of a cool connection, um, is that you know that um, back in the um, old catechumens, penitents were removed from the church because of their sins, and that's the same as like Adam who was removed from the garden because of his sins of disobedience. Mm-hmm. And so then the penitents did not enter the church again for 40 more days. So this 40 is really powerful. I mean, we know the 40 days before the ascension. We know the 40 days in the desert. But um, this is a, a, a good meaning and a time for us to repent. You know, I really think, Father, that, that I was saying this this morning in opening my show and also opening the segment in, in this hour, introducing you and the, and the upcoming guests, that when you have that cross on your forehead, sometimes when we get the ashes, we're so used to it as Catholics who take this practice seriously, we forget about it. And then we notice yeah. during the day that somebody's looking at us strangely or kind of giving us an <laughs> odd look. Or someone will come up to us and say, hey, I don't mean to be rude, but you have all this dirt on your forehead. That is a great opportunity for yes. witnessing, is it not? Yeah, and remember, um, even though we, I don't know the meaning of the uh, of the the Christian lifestyle of our president, but President Biden had on his ashes a few years ago, and uh, that's another subject. But anyway, he had his ashes on, and the newscasters. This is how secular our world has right. become, and how how sad it is. And the two anchors, when they came back, they go, "What is on his forehead?" Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> They had no clue. I mean, something that used to be such a staple all over the world of of symbol of our faith, and now the the, the main headline newscasters didn't even know what it was. Well, that should be obviously because you have a president, even despite his 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 staunch support right. of abortion on demand through everything and other things he supports, just as transgender right. ideology and birth control and everything else under the sun. But right. if he's saying he's Catholic, if he's identifying as Catholic, you would think that the media would look into this faith that he claims is so important to him, not to mention the fact that there's still so many people in the country that still identify as Catholic, and this is something that happens every year, and it doesn't take much to find out the history of Ash Wednesday or what the ashes represent. So that just shows you not only how secularized, your point, well taken, but also how poorly educated and informed the media are when it comes to anything remotely religious, especially Catholic. And, yeah, and, and not only them, uh, 
our own Catholic brothers and sisters. Like, okay, we're getting ready to begin a time. Uh, everybody knows the old tradition of not eating meat on Fridays, right, in Lent. And that is a important thing. In fact, um, we are not to eat meat, uh, uh, you know, and fast on Wednesday tomorrow, which is mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday and then Good Friday. So, okay, so both Ash Wednesday and Good Friday are days of both fast and abstinence. And when we mean by abstinence, is no meat. But what a lot of people forget is every Friday through the whole year is still a time of abstinence mm-hmm. from meat. The church has said in America, you can eat meat on Fridays outside of Lent as long as you give up another form of penance. But who does? Right. Like, how many of us Catholics um, realize, okay, on a Friday in July, uh, oh, I'm going to have a nice big hamburger. I'm going to have a nice big steak. And they don't give up any other form of penance. So you're absolutely right. Not only is is the secular world not understanding religion and the media, but also our own Catholic brothers and sisters. So we try to tell people, don't forget, every Friday during the year, unless you give up some other form of penance, is is no meat, but especially no meat on Fridays during Lent. And um, and you know, and, and here's another thing, Teresa, people don't remember, for us Latin Rite Catholics. The fast is for everyone 18 to 59. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you are 18 to 50, my dad's funny because he's like, man, I don't have to do that fasting thing anymore. <laughs> so um, fasting is for everyone 18 to 59, but the no meat is for everyone 14 and older. And so just another little thing that we don't remember all the time. But even if you're even if you're outside of those age ranges, and maybe it'd be different for little children or, or elderly who might right. be a little bit weak, you can still. It doesn't mean that you just let everything go and Absolutely. say, "Woohoo, throwing that to the wind," right? Because Dominic and I are Absolutely. past the fifty-nine mark several years ago. He's sixty-six. <laughs> I'm, I'm sixty-four. You so, look great. Well, thank you. you. Great. Yeah, it's olive oil of Olay, Padre. That's what I can say. But but no, I mean we still we don't we we still try to do our best and and conform to what the church gives us in terms of those restrictions. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And I think most of that is for health reasons. You know, like if you're a totally healthy 17 year old, come on, you can do this. Or you're right. a totally healthy 60 year old, mm-hmm. you can do this. And so let's not be minimalists. Right. Let's be maximalists. Let's do the most that we can for our Lord, for sure. Mm-hmm. And is it really? I mean, it seems to me when you think about so many people around the world, especially in places like Nigeria, across Africa, and other places uh, in the Middle East where people are just really literally dying for their faith, or the Far East yeah. as well. This is the least that we can do to respect oh. the teachings of the church, but also to pray for other Christians who don't have it as easy as we do. And, you know, and along those lines, Teresa, is even the meaning of fasting. Like, you know, what do we think of fasting for? Oh, well, it doesn't make sense to people. But in, in fasting, yes, you control the passions of the body, and the spirit should control the flesh, you know, not vice versa. But also it enables you to unite with those who don't have food, mm-hmm. who are going hungry. Um, you know, by fasting, you know, you can you free your soul for prayer because now your, your spirit controls your flesh. But refraining from eating, you free up food or money that you can give to the poor. You know, that's true almsgiving. Yeah. Um, and so really... Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving all come together at this time of Lent. Yeah. And, you know, so um, it's, it's a way of doing penance, uh, but it also helps us to unite with our brothers that, that go without, brothers and sisters that don't have anything. So yeah. it's a powerful uh, way to express our faith and to, you know, mortify the flesh because the flesh is running rampant in us, you know, um, throughout the year. Let, yeah. us, let us put a little little control there. <laughs> Father, thank you so much. Where can we find you? Where do we uh, go to your website for the Marians, but also the great work you oh, yes. for us at EWTN? Uh, two places. Yeah, two places, please. If you'd like to learn more about Divine Mercy, please visit GodDivineMercy.org. There you can find a lot of great resources. Um, you can find our books. Uh, and, you know, if you want to get material on Divine Mercy, ShopMercy.org is the other. And... In fact, um, you know, if people want to watch our videos, we do a lot of great talks. Uh, also, at, your at, EWTN show. Give us the time for that absolutely. as well. Wednesdays, uh, uh, this Wednesday will be on at 4.30. Normally, it's 6.30. All right, but Father, thank that, you so much. We so, share that together. Yep, EWTN every Wednesday with Father Chris Alar. We'll be right back. When the need for senior care arises, home is where the heart is. 
Visiting Angels provides home care for mom or dad up to 24 hours per day, including personal care, meals, and light housework. You may select your professional caregiver with Visiting Angels. More information at visitingangels.com or at 877-374-LIVE. That's 877-374-LIVE. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. It's as though the secular press has to shoehorn matters concerning fidelity or infidelity to church teaching into political labels of conservative versus liberal. And those political dichotomies are not entirely meaningless, but they most usually distort the discussion. This discussion is about receiving Christ worthily. And that is not a political discussion. And by the way, this discussion is not even new. If you go back to 1998, they also addressed the question from living the gospel life. Again in 2006, in Happier Those Who Are Called to His Supper. For Pope Francis, he drafted, when he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires, the Aparecida document. The U.S. bishops are now forced to address this problem because we have now a Catholic president who is receiving Holy Communion, while at the same time he is a champion of expanded abortion rights. Cresta in the Afternoon. Weekdays from 4 to 6 on Ave Maria Radio and AveMariaRadio.net. My wife Janet's ancestors arrived in America on the Mayflower, but we never knew that the Catholic missionaries arrived in Florida 50 years earlier. Visit the site where the cross was first planted, where Mass was celebrated, and the first Marian shrine in the New World. Renew baptismal vows in the cathedral in its first baptismal font. Hope you can join us in La Florida, the land of flowers. To learn more about your Ave Maria Radio trip, find the Ave Maria Radio travel tab at AveMariaRadio.net. Thanks so much for tuning in to Catholic Connection on a Tuesday morning. This Fat Tuesday, tomorrow, St. Valentine's Day, and, of course, Ash Wednesday. We'll talk about Valentine's with our friends Julie and Greg Alexander from, of course, the Alexander House. And we go to Rome for the latest from Joan Lewis. A domani. Ciao, ciao. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connections.